Are you ready for God's word? Amen. We're starting a new series that's going to take us through the month of November, and it's called Paths. Say that word out loud with me. Paths. And the tagline is creating well-worn paths for life in Christ. Creating well-worn paths for life in Christ. And the imagery we're going to be using is playing off of some wisdom and, and some imagery out of the book of Proverbs. And so in just a moment, we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 4. But let me tell you what's happening in the rest of chapter 4 before we read the verses we have today. All of Proverbs 4 is talking about the act of gaining wisdom. So the choice that we choose, that we take on to gain wisdom in life. And then the writer of the Proverbs chooses to say this. So I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of God's word today. We're going to read Proverbs chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. Forgive me, I try to not like chug water in front of you guys, but it's going to be a part of the sermon today. Hear the word of our Lord, church. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. I want to read that again, and I want to invite you guys to read it aloud with me. The word of the Lord, church. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. The word of our Lord. You can be seated. So I'm going to capitalize on some literal images to help us as we go on this journey talking about paths, making well-worn paths for lives in Christ. There's two pictures. Shannon, you can just take your pick, go back and forth, do a little dance with them, whatever you want to do. But check out these pictures. Google tells me these are from the Oregon Trail, which was much cooler when I was a pastor in Oregon. But we're going to say... These are from the Oregon Trail, that they are wagon wheel tracks on the Oregon Trail. I totally buy it. I don't know about you, but I believe it. I want you to think, yeah, you can leave that one up for a little bit for me, Shannon. Thank you so much. I want you to look at that and think about wagon wheels with me for a moment. I'm going to guess that if I'm traveling on the Oregon Trail, anybody play that game? <laughs> Dysentery gets you every time. So if I'm traveling on the Oregon Trail, I'm betting, what do you think? It's going to be nearly impossible, if this is my pathway, to keep my wagon wheels any place other than in those ruts. Can you picture it? You're like, man, these are getting, <laughs> like, I'm going to make my own path and I'm going to not go in these. And so you get your wheels out of the things, and then you're going, and then all of a sudden, crisunk, and you're right back down in those pathways, right? Can you see it? The cool kid, the stubborn one that's like, I'm not going to walk there. I'll make my own path. Crisunk. 
They're so deep, so compelling, the wagon wheels just find them. And really the beautiful thing is that those pathways actually lead to the destination they want to go to. So keep this picture in your head during the month of November. We all have well-worn paths in life. Let me say that again. We all have well-worn paths in life. And they can look a number of different ways. Think with me. What are the well-worn paths in your life? Let me tell you about my morning routine. Now, this is such a well-worn path. There is eventually going to be lines in my carpet from this pathway, right? So I get out of bed. I walk to the coffee maker. I do my little coffee dance. Push, go. I walk to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. I come out. I get my basket that has my Bible and my colored pencils in it because you know it's got to be a colorful moment with the Lord. I go to my spot. I sit my stuff down, and then by now my coffee's done, so I go back to my coffee maker, grab my cup of coffee, back to my spot, grab my blanket, and I sit. That is a well-worn path. It's something I do habitually when I'm half asleep at five in the morning. You probably have your own well-worn paths. How many of you feel like you could drive to work with your eyes literally closed? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Or home from work. Here's one. How many of you, without even thinking, sit down on the couch and turn on Netflix? Or your favorite news channel? For me, Coco goes to bed, and it's like Netflix, Gilmore Girls, and a bag of sea salt and vinegar chips. It is a well-worn path that needs to not be a well-worn path. What about even like emotional responses in our life? Those can become well-worn paths. I was telling Pastor Mark, I really don't shop very often anymore because I'm truly like an addict. And we were at a um, retreat this weekend and we went to an outlet mall. Boy, howdy. Y'all, I was there for like 30 minutes, and I got some cute things for Coco, and then it was time to leave, and so we were walking to the car, and I was like, Mark, this is why I cannot come here. Suddenly, I feel all sad inside because I didn't find the shoes that I wanted, and now I need to go back to 16 more stores until I find them. It's a well-worn path in my life. The right thing will satisfy my soul. Maybe uh, it's the water hose again. You guys remember we talking about the sanctifying power of water hose? I see a water hose and I, my blood starts to boil because I'm already thinking about wrestling that thing into submission. Thank you to the Roach family for getting me 16 bajillion feet of retractable hose. Maybe you're like me, and the second you get in bed after your kids go to sleep, you need your bag of chips. Maybe you're like me, and the second a deck of Skipbo cards come out, you suddenly are craving Twizzlers and Skittles. Anybody? Are you thinking of it? I just threw myself under the bus. You've got to have your own. 
are these well-worn paths in life that almost become second nature. And as people following the way of Jesus, we have to take some time in our life quite regularly, I think, to ask the question, how are these paths shaping me? How are these well-worn pathways shaping and forming me as a person? Today you might be wondering, well, why does this matter? Where in the world are we headed with this concept? Let me just lay it all out there for you this morning. From the beginning, God has been shaping and forming a people after his own heart. From the beginning, God has been shaping and forming a people after his own heart. And these well-worn paths in our life are either aiming at this goal of being a person after God's heart or it's something different altogether that we're being shaped and formed into. But I made a claim that from the beginning, God has been shaping and forming a people. Let me take you on a quick journey to show you what I mean. It all started in Genesis chapter 12 with a man named Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a, what church? A blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be through you. A really important note on this text, you know, we read that word nation and our brain instantly goes to like geopolitical boundaries like a nation state. And the word there in Hebrew is more like a people. I will make you into a great people, a great collection of people. Later, God said this in Genesis chapter 18, verses 18 through 19. For Abram, Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation or peoples, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. Why did we go there? Well, you see, from the beginning, God has been at work in the midst of sinful humanity, in the midst of all the troubles of life, building a family. And not just biological family, but a family of God, a people who mirrored his heart. And the whole goal was that this people would mirror God's heart to the world, that the world might notice and be blessed, be changed, be impacted, be redeemed, because that family mirrors the image of God. 
And so God's whole redemptive strategy is family. And when I say that word, I'm I'm not even meaning biological family, although that plays a role in it. I'm meaning this, the people of God faithfully following the way of King Jesus together. That is God's redemptive strategy. But here's the key, though. As we talk about pathways, don't you know that we as the people of God, we need those well-worn paths for life in Christ, right? To be the people of God who are mirroring the image of God, we need wagon wheel tracks so deep that there is no possible way we can get off track. We need these well-worn paths that are constantly compelling us back into the way of Jesus. So that even when we begin to wander a bit, what happens is we go, Grthunk, in the best way, right back into the way of King Jesus. So here's the key as we're talking about this. Also from the beginning... The people of God have been shaped and formed by corporate, that's us, and individual practices or rituals aimed at pointing them toward God. So from the beginning, God has been instilling within the people of God practices, rituals, things that we do together and things that we do individually that are all meant to help us create well-worn paths for life in Christ. An example of this, we can kind of see the heart of God in a text that has always been really sacred to the people of God. In fact, some call it the Shema. And this is found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Pause for a drink break. This might be a familiar text to you, but Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this. I want you to be listening for path-making happening, for some well-worn paths among the family of God. Hear the word of our Lord. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves half-heartedly, wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on doorposts of your home and on your gates. That's a a pretty all-inclusive message, right? The ways of God should consume every part of who we are, and so never stop talking about it, no matter where you are and what you're doing, and even like tie things on you and put it in your house and everywhere that you are so that you won't forget my way. 
It's like God has been calling the people to create these well-worn paths for life in Christ. The people of God were meant to be so saturated in the ways of God, in the heart of God, that it consumed our entire being as a people. This kind of language continued under the reign of King Jesus in the New Testament. Paul said it this way. I love these verses in Colossians 3. We're going to look at the second half of 9 and verse 10. Hear the word of our Lord. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. I love that. Take off this thing and now put on this. And so the, the imagery that Paul gives us there is, is, is really quite simple. It, it's not easy, but it's simple. If I could simplify it, I would say this. Ditch old practices that led to old ways and establish new practices that lead to new ways. That's Paul's message. And, and we kind of see this trend throughout all of Scripture as God is shaping and forming a people after his heart. There are some things that are tied into helping us create these well-worn paths so that we create new practices for life in Christ. The problem, church, is this. We rarely pause to think about the practices, the rituals, the habits that are heavily shaping and forming us. We rarely pause to think about the things that we're doing over and over and over again and how they're shaping and forming us. And so we all have these well-worn paths and some of them are leading us towards life in Christ and others are leading perhaps in a way where we're actually digging ruts. And if we can lean into that imagery for a second, church, I think that as followers of Jesus, we live in one of two places in life. Where our well-worn path is a rut, and we are constantly trying to get out of it. And no matter how hard we try, kerthunk. It's like, like me fighting the water hose. It's a well-worn rut. Or the other way that I think we can find with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that our well-worn paths are truly paths that lead to life in Christ. And when we hop off, what happens is that once again, we kerthunk right back into the way of Jesus. And so together as the people of God, we want to foster things in our lives together and in our lives individually that are constantly helping us build those deep, well-worn paths for life in Christ. Is that tracking with you? If it is, give me an amen. Thank you. Help, help me along here. 
So, much of the secular world gets this, church. Much of the secular world gets this. Have you noticed a, a rise in the popularity of like daily affirmations? You are strong. You are powerful. I mean, I love it. it makes me feel good. That was God's thing first. His truth is all over scripture speaking those affirmations. So, yes, secular world, you got it. Let's just use scripture and proclaim the things that God said over us. But they're, they're getting it, these mantras. I think about the shopping mall. Man, although declining in popularity, a mall knows how to get you. You got the smell of Auntie Anne's begging you to come and get a pretzel. And you've got the images with six packs, if you're a dude, I guess, and smells that are like, if you buy these jeans, you will instantly have said six pack. Or so, so we think. So there's things around us shaping us everywhere. I'm currently reading the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's a great book. Although not a necessarily a Christian book, it has deep implications for those of us who follow the way of Jesus. And he used a really meaningful illustration to talk about the power of practices or the power of habits. He called it the 1% rule. So imagine this with me. You're flying from LAX to New York City. If the pilot of that plane adjusts the heading just 3.5 degrees south, you would end up in Washington, D.C. A 3.5 degree change, one that's barely noticeable at takeoff, and you have landed in a completely different destination. Barely noticeable, major impact. This 1% rule reminds us that even the smallest practice can have a big impact on our destination. Even the smallest thing. This is so random, but I can remember, you know when you get out of the habit of things? Like, I don't know. To choose the not, I'm thinking hygiene related, like deodorant and brushing your teeth and stuff when you're a middle schooler. And, and like, the, if the deodorant's in a drawer, less likely that you're going to put it on. But maybe if it's like right there smack dab in their face, maybe it'll make it to their armpit, right? But that 1% change, that little movement, makes a huge impact in our practices. So church, here, here's the point of all of this. Every day, we are creating either well-worn paths for life in Christ, or we are digging ruts. Every day, we are either creating well-worn paths for life in Christ, or we are digging ruts. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about and think about path-making practices. Path-making practices that are important to our lives 
both individually and corporately when we gather as the people of God. Because let me just get real with you again. I don't know how to function anywhere else. I hope you're figuring that out about me. But if this gathering does not shape and form us as the people of God, it is a waste of our time. If this gathering does not shape and form us into the way of Jesus, it is a waste of our time. And so I feel deep obligation and high priority to making sure that the time we spend together is shaping and forming us in the way of King Jesus. And this is literally part of next week. But it's a deep conviction that everything we do is doing something to us. And so when we gather, we have to think about that which we do because it is doing something to us. And what we hope is that it's helping us build those well-worn paths for life in Christ. If I were an athlete, I would have so many good analogies, but I'm not. So you probably got some good ones in your head right now. There's deep implications. So to prepare us for the coming weeks, I really need to take a moment to redefine and perhaps redeem a term that has been used in the church. For some in this room, it's going to be a word you've literally never heard. Great, I'm going to teach you a new word. For some of you, there are some emotional ties to this word, both good and bad. And so my hope is that we might move forward with a better definition of this term. And that term is liturgy. Did anybody throw up in your mouth a little bit? (laughs) But here's the key. Liturgy is everywhere. Liturgy is everywhere. Chick-fil-A, thank you. My pleasure. What is their liturgy telling you? They were happy to serve you. Liturgy is everywhere. Timothy Gaines, in his book, Christian Ethics, within the Wesleyan Theology series, he said this about liturgy. For as long as there has been something called church, Christians have talked about the work they do together. Liturgy is the name we give to that work now. If that word conjures in your imagination a ritualistic pattern of religious ceremonies that are disconnected from real life, it may be an impediment to what that word expressed for most of the church's history. Literally meaning the work of the people. Liturgy is simply what people do when they gather together. Liturgy is simply what people do when they gather together. Let me give you an example. Gosh, my voice. Take me out to the ball game. Yeah, save me, please. That is liturgy, right? At the baseball field. Liturgy is everywhere because it's what people do when they gather together. Think about that. Every church, no matter what kind of church it is, has liturgy. Even if they don't have formal liturgy. Let's think about it. 
Every week, somebody stands up there and welcomes you. Then you got like three songs, probably one fast one and two slow ones. Then somebody talks about what's happening in the life of the church. You got announcements. You got somebody asking you to tithe. You got a pastor that tells subpar jokes. Not me, but some, I hear. You got a pastor apologizing for preaching too loud. That's a liturgy. Or preaching too long. Then maybe, you know, you've got another song. Maybe you've got communion. Maybe you've got dismissal. Every church has liturgy. Some churches are just more intentional with their liturgy than others. Some are, are, are more in tune with the things that they're doing together and how it's shaping and forming their people. Man, I really hope that you've noticed that our team has taken time to pay attention to our liturgy here. What are we doing as the people of God when we gather that is doing something to us? Another book that I found so impactful, and I really would recommend that you read this one, is called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. And he takes this concept of liturgy even deeper. He says this, Liturgy is a shorthand term for those rituals that are loaded with an ultimate story about who we are and what we're for. They carry within them a kind of ultimate orientation. Think of liturgy as calibration technologies. They bend the needle of your heart. I love that last line. Think of liturgy as calibration technologies. They bend the needle of your heart. Think about secular spaces with me for a moment. They all have liturgies, and those liturgies are making you want something. Those liturgies are aiming to shape and form you to want something that they can offer. Chick-fil-A, like I said, thank you. My pleasure. Somebody really intentionally has decided that they wanted their space to be a gracious space, and so they created that liturgy. Have it your way. What's Burger King, right? They want you to know that you're special enough that you deserve to have it your way. Do they live up to that? I don't know. Think about diet commercials. They've got some good liturgy in those bad boys. You are unhappy as you are, but don't worry. Losing weight will make you happy, and I have the thing that's going to make you happy, right? They've got it. Their liturgy is so good. Here's my confession. I love YouTube videos, and I love YouTube videos that tell me all the cheap things that I can get on Amazon. And you know what it tells me? The liturgy that those things tell me is you are unhappy or your life is too stressful, but if you will just get this one thing, it will make your life so much better, so much easier. That's a liturgy that is shaping and forming me to want something. So, you know, conviction. All of these things are bending the needle of our heart. All of these things are either helping us dig well-worn paths for life in Christ, or we are digging ruts that lead somewhere other than to life in Christ. 
So what's the point today? Let's go back to that text in Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. I want to invite you to read this aloud with me, church. Hear the word of our Lord. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. Liturgy is everywhere. The things that are shaping and forming us is everywhere. And so church, liturgy is a path-making practice. Liturgy is a path-making practice. What do I mean by that? Well, the things that are on repeat in our lives, the things that we're hearing over and over again are creating paths for us. And like we said, they're either those well-worn paths for life in Christ or we're most likely digging those ruts. And when we kersunk, we want it to be back into a well-worn path for life in Christ, not a rut. And so we pay attention to path-making practices like liturgy. So to set up our whole conversation on path-making practices, I want to establish kind of a working definition for liturgies at, at BCC. I would say it this way. Liturgy is anything you say, see, or hear that shapes your heart and gives your life ultimate direction. Liturgy is anything you say, see, or hear that shapes your heart and gives your life ultimate direction. So take a second with me and apply that to our church. As a team, we're thinking about the things that we repeatedly do together and what they're doing to us. Let me let you behind the curtain for a moment of some things that we're very intentionally doing over and over again so that we might be shaped and formed in the way of Jesus. As your pastor, I light that candle every Sunday, repeatedly, to tune our hearts to why we're here, to remind us that this is not just a social gathering, but a sacred gathering. And so we light that candle to set this time apart. You know, when I have quiet time in the morning, I often light a candle. Because it's become a symbol in my life that this is a sacred moment with me and God. I don't know if you've noticed, but I kneel, typically during the third song every Sunday. I do that as a liturgy in my own life. I want to be reminded of whose authority I am ultimately under, that ultimately I am under the authority of God and not humanity. And so I would submit myself to that authority. When I speak that pastoral blessing over you, it's because I want you to hear over and over and over again that God's strength, God's peace, God's power resides in you. And I want you to hear that so much that you start to believe it. I tell you I love you at the end of service. 
Because if you don't hear I love you at all the rest of the week, I want you to at least hear it from your pastor. So that the more you hear it from me, you might believe the same of God. That that is God's liturgy over you, is love. We do that sending prayer at the end that I hope you all always stick around for. To conclude our time with a really intentional reminder that now we just don't get up and leave and go on with our lives. Now we go and do. And we are sent from this space as the transformed people of God in the power of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to do the good work of God's kingdom. So we pray that together at the end of every service. We recite the Apostles' Creed before baptisms because we are all being reminded of what each of us are committed to and what anchors our story together, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. Amen? We take the Lord's Supper together often. Often. Because the story of Jesus, the grace of the table of Christ, orients our entire lives to the resurrected Jesus. So these are a few things that are on repeat at BCC. Because we want them to do something to us as followers of the way of Jesus. And church, I need that. I need this to do something to me. And so we gather and we're transformed together. And so today, as we wrap up, I ask you this. What liturgies are on repeat in your life? And how are they shaping and forming you? What liturgies are on repeat in your life? And how are they shaping and forming you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Will you bring me that water? Thank you. So this week, as we go our separate ways, and I hope you take your sermon notes and sit with them again, I'm going to invite you to do a liturgy inventory. Tune your eyes to all the things that you are repeated, repeatedly saying, seeing, and hearing. And how, ask yourself, how is this liturgy shaping and forming me? Is it helping me create well-worn paths for life in Christ? Or is this liturgy actually helping me dig a rut? And my hope is that as we journey together as the people of God, that we will consistently, throughout the life of our time together, be taking a liturgy assessment and asking ourselves, how are the things we do shaping and forming us? I'm going to invite you to stand as I pray. <clears throat> And the worship team's going to lead us in a song of reflection. And I want to invite you to participate in some other liturgies. We anoint for healing every Sunday. 
because we believe in Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. And so over and over and over again, we present the opportunity to believe in God our healer. So that's a liturgy. Every week, we open the altars because we believe that our physical body is a part of our spiritual journey. And so we give you the opportunity before the people of God to kneel as a full body act of surrender and call out to King Jesus. And so as we worship, we invite you. If you need healing of any kind, Pastor Bo and I will be available for anointing. Altars are open as we take this liturgy inventory. What's shaping and forming us? Almighty God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are obedient to follow you. We want to be transformed. So would you help us to see the liturgy that is shaping our lives? We love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.